0: Oh man, I needed to towel off after this Portland-Dallas game. We're going to talk a ton about that. We got to hit on the Grizz falling to 1-6 in the bubble against Boston. They're going to be in desperate straits against Milwaukee. And also wanted to talk about Miami and Indiana from last night since those two teams are probably going to match up in the first round in all likelihood now and of course we will take you through what remains of the playoff picture with three days to go here in the bubble let's talk about this portland dallas game though some question about whether dallas would come to play they did and we got an absolute classic Damian Lillard, only the second player in NBA history with three 60-point games in a season, joining Wilt Chamberlain for that illustrious mark. And Portland lives to fight another day in just a classic game, and they control their own destiny for the eighth seed now.
1: Well, yeah, not only does Portland live to fight another day, they, through the course of Tuesday's action, gained the advantage that will be pretty definitive for them in terms of potentially facing the Lakers in the first round. And let's get to that after we get to the game. The game is the star here. And it was definitely for large stretches, a defense optional affair, especially in the late going where the only from what I recall, the only two possessions in the like crunch time last, let's call it three minutes of this game that Dallas didn't score were offensive fouls that Portland didn't really cause. Um, but Lillard just an absolutely spectacular performance 17 of 32 from the field nine of 17 from three including one of the more ridiculous makes I've ever seen with that bounce that went from here to eternity and also importantly 18 of 18 from the free throw line
0: yeah and for those who say that Dallas needs to take another leap defensively plenty of fodder for that in this one and really what it boils down to is that they don't have options defensively. And so Stan Van Gundy on the telecast in the fourth quarter saying, Hey, you know, I don't know if I like the pick and roll coverage where you're laying back against Lillard. You know, you can just step into these threes when you're setting it higher on the floor. And, They just don't have another choice. They tried doing some other stuff and they don't really have the personnel in terms of perimeter defenders to play a drop system against the best guys. But then trying to get Porzingis out on the floor at center, that didn't work either because he got absolutely torched. I mean, they start off, Tim Hardaway Jr. has the matchup against Lillardy. It had a slow-ish start, but Hardaway Jr. is not good enough getting over screens to prevent Dame from getting into those three-pointers. He was also able to get it to the rim where Nurkic does a great job of screening off Porzingis for some layups so then they say okay you know Damian Lillard these pick and rolls on the left side of the floor let's uh let's bring Porzingis up to the level of the ball here and even with the sideline as an extra defender they tried to do the thing that a lot of teams do where if you set the pick and roll too close to the sideline up near the hash mark they'll try and trap the guy in the corner and Lillard just went around Porzingis I mean I lost track of the number of times that he did that it was probably it was like insane. It was. I mean, just in the one stretch, I think it was in the second quarter alone, he probably did it like six or seven times, just right past him for layups. Then they tried to bring help over. Lillard started setting up three pointers that way getting to the rim very easily once more and you know I've talked about this repeatedly with Damian Lillard in these big performances when he's had 45 and then he had 51 and now this 61 point performance that he's just in total control of what the defense wants to do and that's when the defense has a lot of options Dallas didn't have any options they either had bring Porzingis up to the level of the ball and Dame's just going to go right around you or they have lay him back and Dame's going to walk into some three-pointers and so to me you know, Porzingis we've talked about him if he's right there in position at the rim how good he is defensively but he really has slow feet as far as actually getting into a stance and sliding you know a lot of times he'll be get compared to Brooke Lopez in terms of his impact to the room but Brooke Lopez actually is probably quicker and certainly has a better understanding of angles sliding his feet than Kristaps Porzingis does and just Dave like Dallas did not have the horses I mean eventually they tried to put Dorian Finney Smith on him Trey Burke was on him for a while I mean Kristaps Porzingis and Trey Burke might want to just like go hug each other and cry for a, a few minutes after this game because they just got completely lit up in the second quarter Carlisle was so desperate that he actually went to mkg who played in their last game against utah when they didn't play their starters in the second half and mkg couldn't get it done either it was just incredible and i mean just looking at what dame did in the fourth quarter he either scored or assisted on every single portland point but two from the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter until they intentionally fouled cj mccollum with four seconds left in the game it It's just so awesome it really is one of the great stretches i can ever remember seeing and he's doing it with about as high as the stakes can get in the regular season
1: well and not only that but we got another crazy piece of context for lillard's what what he's had to do here that came from dwight james at um nbc nbc sports northwest not about lillard but about cj mccollum that according to their sources cj has been playing with an with a basically a fracture in his lower back three vertebral transverse process fracture. Oh, to yeah. Case. Since last Thursday, and so cj's going with that. He, CJ was two of fourteen in this one, but that, I mean, the degree of difficulty for Lillard is impossible anyway. But that it's it is more of a you know kind of think of it as a one man offensive team because Melo, you know, he can do his thing, but it's a little bit different. And a lot of his best looks were actually created by Lillard in this game, so it's it's truly incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, if that's true for CJ, I didn't hear that until just now. That I mean, he's probably like getting shot up before games or something like that. I mean, that's kind of almost more of a football injury that like lower bracket Fracture, but uh, that would explain why he struggled so much. I mean, at one point in the game, he was negative 31 with six points in this one, but he did uh, do enough uh, to uh, get them those two free throws at the end. But yeah, I mean, they weren't even thinking about giving the ball to McCollum at, at times. uh Now, Porzingis was spectacular on his own offensive end. Yes. Four three pointers in the third, hit a couple of really deep ones as the trail guy. I mean, that is just so difficult to deal with. And even the slightest amount of transition situation Where you can break the paint force the center to help and then porzingis good luck if you're the center especially if you're the blazers who like to lay back if you're the center getting out to 27 feet against christos porzingis as the trail man on a break at the top of the key with uh you know him being 7-3 so uh porzingis was outstanding offensively he's looking a little bit better in the mid-range pick and roll he's had some nice dunks during these last stretches so i think to me he looks more comfortable than he did during the regular season do you agree with that
1: yeah i would um uh- uh, oh, so I wanted to ask you about Luka's game. I mean, obviously it's going to be overshadowed by what Lillard did and justifiably so. But I, I thought in particular, the w- it was a good contrast of styles in terms of how patient Doncic is, how he, you know Luka was able to get some of those fouls and big ones on Yusuf Nurkic and also a couple on Hassan Whiteside. And it wasn't, you know, he, he doesn't have that combustibility from three that Damian Lillard does, but it did show why he can be the orchestrator of the league's best offense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with Dallas going 20 of 44 from three-point range, I mean, pretty rare you'll see tw- a team make 20 threes and lose. Uh, when Lillard was 9 of 17 on his own uh, on the other end of it, uh, that's pretty darn impressive. So, you know, he did have six turnovers in this game. I didn't think it was the best. Doncic game 2 of 8 from three has not really had the three ball working and, you know, I think one thing that he could potentially add to his game would be that off-the-bounce three-pointer in the pick and roll. You know, he really is only shooting those either on a spot up or the step back off the dribble going to his left he's not really comfortable just with that quick release pull up and then the other thing that I I thought was a problem and yeah he controlled the game there's a great offensive performance by a great offense against what has been a very leaky defense although they've gotten just enough in most of these crunch times uh the free throw shooting for luca you know he was seven and nine but he misses two he had a chance to get a, a three point play that could have given him a four point lead at one point and then he only went one of two with 40 seconds left as they are trying to Get back at the end, still within one possession. So he's not. I think that's another step for him too. Is he's mostly been in the seventies in his career, even going back to his time as a prospect, and to really be that kind of great shooter, be totally reliable at the end. Like he needs to be an eighty percent free throw shooter. I think that's something that is totally within his control and that that he can work on a little bit more. Uh, do you want to talk about the end of the game here?
1: I do. um There are a couple different things here that I, I think are really interesting. I'm sure and. I I saw a little bit of this on Twitter Maverick fans are up in arms about both of the offensive foul calls basically the only two times Dallas didn't score during that portion when the game really swung and the way for me I thought that the Porzingis call was it, it, it was one of those one of those where like I would I would have called it differently but I also am not completely stunned that the challenge didn't work because there is this deference to the call on the floor and then there was the the one on Trey Burke and yeah it was a little bit weird you don't know if Damien Lillard would have gone out there to contest the finney smith shot but trey burke caused contact that had a material effect and i don't understand how you would expect a referee to not make that call
0: yeah I, I agree i mean you really have to like referees particularly in this day and age are trained to just see contact and make the call you know maybe in a bygone era you might see or they're like hey you know what dorian finney smith was going to be open anyway he'd made a nice cut he lost lillard and it didn't matter that trey burke ran lillard over and lillard knew he wasn't going to get there so why not just fall down and accentuate the contact and of course the shot did in fact go in for finney smith and that would have given the mavericks a two-point advantage at that point they were down one Luca had had a chance to tie it on the free throws a, a possession earlier um but I mean it was a foul there's no no two ways about it when it is a foul you really got an uphill battle to me and like yeah would the game have been better if the refs like intentionally swallowed their whistle I could see that you can argue maybe it affected the play maybe it didn't maybe if he doesn't knock down Lillard on that play Lillard just gets into Finney Smith's vision just a little bit more and he misses the shot but I mean it really was a not a good play uh, from trey burke um then the other one was Porzingis on the switch trying to get deep post position against Gary Trent and I thought that call was correct as well I mean it was certainly accentuation by Trent under the basket to fall down but Porzingis got that left arm on him and created the contact and again you're giving the referees a trigger where they can see a specific action it's not up to the referees to see this action and then be oh but did it really affect things or not no if you give them an idea you know same thing with like when you're grabbing guys in the perimeter post up action that that is a point of education. If there's any kind of holding involved, it's an automatic call. And that's what the referees are going to do. So it shouldn't surprise anyone.
1: The other big decision that I thought was, was interesting in this one was the Mavericks grab, you know, so so Lillard misses that step back with 28.3, with 28.3 left and the Mavericks are still they're still down one and I was really shocked that Dallas didn't push particularly hard now with 27 that means the other team is getting an opportunity and this is the fourth quarter where you can call a timeout to advance the ball the Blazers had a timeout left and I so at first I was belligerently angry about it because it's like hey you need to give yourself as many chances as you have and when you're only down one as long as you foul competently you will get another chance to tie the game yeah and- so you're
0: saying t- you're saying they took too long to attempt a uh- to attempt a shot because if shot, you
1: yeah. if you wait like they did you know and, and it ended up being an offensive foul but if you wait until there's five seconds left then basically portland can run can get a lot closer to running the clock out and while you, it is still theoretically possible for dallas to get another shot you are you, it's going to be rushed and, and everything else that's going on so yeah, that was and my it first was. thought hard
0: away's hardaways three yeah. hit off the backboard is exactly what you're talking
1: yeah about. so so that was my first thought and and i think that largely wins the day however i did have a different one while the play was going on and it's these two teams are so damn bad defensively <laughs> that maybe the math ends up turning the other way it's it's sort of it's sort of like the uh, going back years ago to that bill belichick punt or uh, against the no, yeah uh,
0: the fourth and two against against the colts right yeah
1: or, or no they went for it because they thought if they right. gave the ball if they gave the ball back that it was just yeah. it was functionally over so yeah the they, punt, they
0: didn't punt yeah
1: yeah they didn't punt and i i sort of see a little bit of that with the idea basically being hey, if it's if we can narrow it to functionally one shot then we have a higher chance of we have a higher chance of making that one shot than we do of you know I, of you know giving portland an extra bite at the apple i i don't like that overall because again with the, with the time differential i thought portland was still going to get an opportunity but i bought it more in this circumstance than almost any other
0: well a couple of problems with that though i mean what the main one being that by running the time down and making the shot clock an extra defender at the end you are right. reducing your own offensive efficiency and, and you'll see it in an Actually, teams will do that where they'll run the time down even when they're down one uh, thinking uh, exactly what you're talking about, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think they just kind of didn't get into it quickly enough. I mean, there's there's so many crazy plays. I just want to go through all of them. Sure. Down the end, you know, first there's Yusuf Nurkic fouls out on a bad reach and a switch against Doncic three point play. Doncic misses it, uh but they're up by three. Dallas is at that point about three minutes left. Lillard gets the pick and roll switch over Kleba. He's got 55 points at this point. Steps back, ties it at 124 with the. Ridiculous three. Kleba, they come right back. He gets a three from the right corner out of a Doncic pick and roll where they involve Carmelo Anthony, Hassan Whiteside, who was in for Nurkic. He was hanging out trying to stop Doncic getting into the paint. And so it was an easy pass to the corner for Kleba. Mavs up by three again 127, 124. And then Dame Lillard looking totally out of gas ends up getting into an iso the guy guarding Melo just slightly starts leaning towards dame to help out and dame guns a pass to Melo, and Melo, as one of the quickest releases from three even so he has been awesome by the way in the bubble i think by his standards he was 26 points plus 12 and this one 10 to 17 from the field hit that huge three so we're tied again at 127 next time Don Kleba gets another wide open three to take the lead Doncic gets the offensive rebound nobody boxes him out and then they swing it around to porzingis for a three so dallas is up again, 130 127 and this is just threes back and forth, back and forth, culminating in <laughs> just a ridiculous shot.
1: I mean, Lillard just—I I was kind of wondering what was going on on the possession. He just kind of, just kind of stalls it a little bit, pulls it from what is being listed as 33 feet. The ball hits the rim, bounces. I don't know, 15 feet in the air. You're just waiting there, just kind of sitting there, eating, going to make a sandwich, eat a sandwich, and then it drops right through the hoop. Comes out of the frame and drops in the hoop to give Portland, to tie the game actually again after the Porzingis 3.
0: Yeah, you asked what was going on. What was going on was don nelson uh was smoking a joint or two in maui and somehow had an out-of-body experience and willed that ball to bounce high up in the air off the backboard and through like it did in the 1969 nba finals that's what happened (laughs) on that shot
1: yeah and then from there i think we already talked about almost everything else the next play was the porzingis offensive foul which was upheld and then they gave they gave willard enough attention that that he was able to find hassan whiteside for a finish which at the time i'm like oh no you got a two point you got two points that might not be enough
0: well they they so Porzingis was out of the game and so they actually targeted Doncic and this is something that I really wanted to see against a high level team and Lillard I mean you know no shame in not being able to keep Dame Lillard in front of you but you know he lets him get to his left hand which is what he wants to do and then drops it off for the white side dunk uh there was also a little bit of strategy here that didn't end up mattering that much, but the Blazers are up one after the Doncic missed free throws, and actually Rick Carlisle presses the Blazers and causes them to waste enough time that they didn't really get a two-for-one. It ended up not mattering in the end. Uh, Lillard missed a a fadeaway step back at the foul line uh, that could have put him up three at that point. But they they only had about a two-second differential after that. So that was a good bit of strategy there when you know the other team might go for a two-for-one to try and pressure up a little bit and just you know token pressure don't let them go by you but just enough so they can't bring it up quickly also just with Lillard running on fumes again i mean it's just the, the amount that he's had to do is has been completely insane but let's uh turn now unless you have anything else uh, on this game to what this means for the playoff race
1: the first thing it does is it locks in the Dallas Mavericks as the 7 seed they're only the second team in the Western Conference to lock up a specific seed though we we of course know 7 of the 8 West playoff teams that clear would theoretically clarify things for the Clippers you know maybe the Clippers and Nuggets you could argue that both of those teams might rather be the threes than the two depending on how they feel about Dallas um, that that game will be very interesting but then the overall course of events on Tuesday the way I described it on Twitter was it's a nightmare for the Memphis Grizzlies and there are a couple reasons why the most obvious one is Portland passed Memphis for the Number eight seed and Memphis could jump back. You know, if they each team has one more game left, if Memphis wins and Portland loses, then they get that. But remember, those two teams cannot tie because Portland has played has played one more game. Has at we talked about this before? So they can't tie. And so Memphis, it basically has to be a win and a loss. So that's the first really big. Yeah,
0: and keep in mind here, the Blazers play Brooklyn, who has absolutely nothing to play for. Although they have, of course, been frisky.
1: Yeah, I mean they're five Um, and two in the bubble, so they they might have a little bit there. So yeah. Portland Portland is in complete control of their own destiny and if they win that game then all they have to do is win one of two against whoever gets I guess it'd be whomever gets the nine seed in order to advance that is a huge advantage that was the reason why like Kevin Pelton's model was being so optimistic about Memphis was because even if you're an underdog it's still hard to lose twice in a row and now Memphis probably is going to lose that advantage and then it gets into the dynamic of what's going to go on to get into the nine or possibly the eight if Portland loses Memphis and and phoenix are now tied at 33 and 39 though it is worth noting that memphis has that tiebreaker
0: yeah so by virtue of the season series uh, uh, win against the suns
1: by virtue of the season series win so what what that means is that phoenix needs a a win and a memphis loss in order to advance if they have the same outcome then memphis gets in and over phoenix And then the other complication is the San Antonio Spurs. The San Antonio Spurs, I believe, from what I can tell, they are still alive. However, they they have to win, and I believe the other two have to lose.
0: Yeah, that's correct, because the Spurs uh, are 32 and 38. The Grizz and Suns are both 33 and 39. So just by virtue of having played a couple more games and won 50% of them, but these teams are under 500. So winning two more, playing two more games and winning 50% of them gets you a little bit higher. So the Spurs need both the Grizz and the Suns to lose. Grizz play Milwaukee. Milwaukee probably not going to play their guys very much. Well, Middleton they're, didn't they're play. they're almost
1: definitely one. not going to play Giannis because he got ejected tonight for headbutting Mo Wagner and might get suspended.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, well, they they don't even need him against Orlando even in the, <laughs> in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I didn't see that that had happened yet. Good, good catch there. So yeah, Giannis almost certainly wasn't going to play. I mean, maybe there's a chance that he will if he doesn't get suspended, but he probably will. And then uh, Middleton didn't play, but you know, you could easily see the Bucs just doing, all right, we'll get you 12 minutes in the first half and that'll be it. Let's just not get anyone hurt. Even for, you know, Brooke Lopez is playing tonight, so he's probably not going to play as well. So now the Bucks reserves could still beat the Grizz it wouldn't shock me although that's generally not the pattern in these games uh and yeah. of course Mike Budenholzer uh as I would assume some positive feeling towards Taylor Jenkins his former assistant
1: well, and then the other reason I described this as a nightmare for Memphis is that now Dallas by virtue of having locked up the seven they have absolutely nothing to play for in their last game of the year against the Phoenix Suns who just benefited from that in their win against Philly well Philly's in a different search fence, they just have a bunch of guys that are hurt but so F- Phoenix presumably is going to face a shorthanded Dallas team and have an opportunity then to to put some, put some heat on Memphis. So, I mean, we'll see and we'll see what's going on with Utah and all the other teams. Though now they have a clear set of if you want to get the 6, now you can't fall to 7. So that that's out there. Um so yeah, it's Memphis has to take care of business. They've had these three games against the top of the East who two of the, the two that they've gone so far have have had nothing to play for. Everything's already or Toronto had a little bit, I guess they still had to take Well,
0: Boston start. had something to play for. The, their the, own the draft pick. pick that they're yeah. going to get from Memphis, That's as we'll true. talk about in a moment.
1: But yeah, so well, let's say limited from the player perspective, and and so Memphis now they're in they're in a, a lot of trouble because they need help. Well, I,
0: I disagree with you. I I think they are in by far the best position of these teams. Well, because. Like I think they are a better than 50% chance of winning against Milwaukee, and yeah, they will be the nine seed in the play-in, and they're going to lose to the Blazers in that most likely. But that's what they, I meant. Yeah. Like they,
1: they their yeah, the, chance... the fact
0: that the Blazers are ahead of them now for eight—that's more what you're
1: right. Talking yeah, about. So, yeah, their yeah. chances of making the playoffs dropped precipitously today because it's a lot less yeah. likely that they get the I, eight, I, and that yeah, really I guess without.
0: I've been thinking of it more in just terms of like, hey, make the play-in game. But you're right. I mean, it, the whole point is to make the playoffs. So
1: I mean, you could do the Jim Mora playoffs. We can't even win a damn game. I mean they've won 1 of 7 so yeah, yeah. that is that yeah. is there
0: but, but still, yeah, so Portland controls their own destiny. I mean, it seems like each of those teams is a significant favorite to win, right? With Utah, they are very incentivized to lose because they're going to want to stay in six. It looks like the Rockets are extremely unlikely to get up to the three seed. It could still happen, which would be hilarious if Utah uh, tanks out to be the six seed. Or, and, or you know, if they
1: tank out in and LA and the Clippers get the three seed, but... Yeah, so, no,
0: I guess that that's a good point too. I mean, the Jazz definitely want the we'll, Nuggets and we'll not know the Clippers more, and And Utah
1: will know more when they play their game. So,
0: um, yeah, and so the Suns. I mean, I the the matchup I want to see is Blazers Suns. But uh, yeah, I mean, and now we could see so, multiple of these teams lose. You never know; like crazy here stuff has happened. But generally, the trend on these last days of the season with teams with nothing to play for is that those teams, even if they play their reserves, just uh, end up. Not exactly putting in a a fantastic performance uh, even with teams that have decent reserves so i if i had to pick one result that's going to happen i think all four teams four of those teams are going to win and the spurs going went six and two and the sun's going eight and zero might still be going home which is pretty incredible to, to think about but yeah i'm hopeful um and of course we'll be doing that milwaukee and memphis game on thursday for league pass
1: and, and ex- an ex- exciting element of this also is that that when we do that Milwaukee-Memphis game, Dallas-Phoenix will be going on at the same time, and none of the other games will have happened. So Memphis has to play it like it's an elimination game. I mean, they're going to do that anyway, but it is it is going to be interesting just kind of thinking about who will know what when. And yeah, it's, it's it's really I think it's really tough for Memphis in terms of what actually matters, and that's getting into the playoffs and getting summarily defeated by the Lakers. And the other reason why I'm excited about this is because I thought Portland had the best shot against the Lakers, and now they have the, the opportunity to probably...
0: Man, I just love... heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. And things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew Tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my talks from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like You're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high-quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. These are CAPSPACE, We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $300 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I N D O C H I N O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us. We get there. Let's talk about another of those big games from today Boston versus Memphis. Talked about this yesterday with Hollinger that Boston, if they are able to keep Memphis out of the playoffs, which their victory today did a good bit towards could get the 14th pick whereas if Memphis makes the playoffs they're probably looking at the 17th pick from that draft pick way back from the Jeff Green trade. So I'm uh I was a little interested to see whether Boston would in fact play their guys and you know they didn't push anyone up into the 40 minute range but they definitely played uh, pretty close to a normal regular season rotation and that was bad news for the grizz because jason tatum is a part of that regular season rotation
1: yeah i mean there are a couple of of big takeaways from this game but one of them was that jason tatum looked absolutely fantastic his overall line 29 points 10 of 13 from the field three of five from or sorry four of five from the three-point line and what you and I t- did this game for the for the live show and what we both noticed immediately and just continued after that was how unaffected Tatum was by the Grizzlies defense he was unperturbable as you put it
0: yeah he was going against a smaller player a lot of the time and some of those shots that early in his career you'd say oh you know why doesn't he challenge it a little bit more at the rim you know should he really be taking this mid-rangers well it just looks so easy and smooth for him against this grizzlies defense really kyle anderson is the only one guarding him that had the length to do anything and they were able to get anderson off of him in large screen anderson also didn't play that many minutes so the three-pointer was going he hit that pull-up three-pointer off the pick and roll he was four of five from downtown and then just a series of fakes just in total command really it was very impressive he was able to get to a shot whenever he wanted and he knew that there was nobody who was going to affect that shot and that's why he was making everything at finishing 10 of 13 and he had those 29 points in a mere 29 minutes
1: yeah, and I, I thought there were three kind of big takeaways from this from this game. The first one was Tatum. He was absolutely fantastic. And then the second two are kind of intertwined. So overall, I thought that, you know, this was a very disappointing game for Memphis offensively and equally impressive for, for Boston defensively. I thought they did a wonderful job, particularly in the half court in the first half. Memphis ended the game with a 91 offensive rating in the half court, and that was significantly up. I think they were in the 50s at one point during it. But at the same point, while Memphis's offense you know missing mid-rangers missing threes was a big part of the story I thought John Morant was absolutely excellent
0: well and he finished up negative eight but there's a little bit of garbage time on the end of that through most of the game he was right around even in the plus minus and he played 42 minutes so uh, the big problem was that when he went off the floor they immediately gave up an 11-0 run I think it was 24-17 after the first and that immediately went to 35-17 Taylor Jenkins had to get him right back in after only a three minute rest and his only rest after that would come with the game already decided the last three minutes of the game and Morant was wonderful I mean this is just do yourself a favor go watch uh, one of those YouTube highlight reels of Morant and this one with the 13 assists first he was just snaking pocket passes into Valanciunas and Jang, where there is absolutely no room he was somehow bouncing it into them or he would drive look off the defense like he was going to throw it to a shooter and then slip the pass if there were two bigs on the floor he'd fake it to the guy who was rolling to the rim and then hit the guy in the dunker spot for a layup and then they adjusted and they started bringing in the wing from the opposite side to take away the roll man so he started corkscrewing these passes to the weak side and of course Memphis couldn't hit a three to save their lives I think they were only hit one in the first half finished up seven out of 29 from three and so despite really doing great work around the basket Morant got to the free throw line for 15 attempts I would guess that's probably a career high for him at the foul line that he had his floater working a little bit better as well he had an incredible lefty dunk in transition that got us out of our seats but it just wasn't enough and this grizzlies team they fall to one in six now they just don't have it at this point you know there's no jaron jackson to spread the floor there's no tyus jones on the second unit to push the pace they're getting killed whenever Morant goes off the floor and so it's really disappointing that we couldn't have just seen justice Winslow. obviously could have helped them he we never even have seen him in a grizzlies uniform yet there's just too many injuries they're just not the team that uh, we really fell in love with earlier in the year
1: yeah and, and it's a shame because there certainly are still things to like I mean Kyle Anderson had some had some fun moments in this one as a sundial shooter but also as a disruptive defensive player his length surprises people but also just that Memphis can't really throw that many looks at teams anymore they tried a lot of looks in this game they originally they were doing a drop back system with Valanchunas and Kemba Walker torched that for three easy shots early on then they tried bringing him out the level of the ball that didn't really help much and but but like you can kind See the contours of what a good version of this Memphis team will look like, the thing that's chess saddening challenging all that is that we know it's not there and not having jaron not having justice winslow and tyus jones i think his absence is is so important just because that gives taylor jenkins another place to go which he doesn't have right now and that's pushing marant harder and something else i want to mention from memphis's perspective is that beyond that ridiculous spin move which shocked us with his dexterity i thought brandon clark had, a, had an intriguing offensive game he did well as you would expect finishing inside the arc and i, I didn't necessarily love him defensively but again you still see these signs of like what he could be
0: yeah i think so 29 minutes for clark he had the and one off his own offensive rebound from the mid range and one and then Cantor was called for the flagrant foul so you had the rarely seen two to make one where he only had one free throw on the flagrant foul because he'd already made the shot but you get two chances to make it and then they took the ball out of bounds again there was also a another rarely seen flagrant three shot foul for jason tatum both of those correctly called where uh, the defender landed underneath the the shooter and uh, that's the Zaza Pachulia rule. So some interesting, uh, refereeing situations in this one and you know I think Memphis now they have their last game against the Bucs it's looking like with Giannis playing today but the rest of those guys resting it's probably going to be the rest of their guys but no Giannis against the Grizz and we'll see you know how we could see just those guys only playing in the first half as well Taylor Jenkins of course played or I'm sorry coached in Milwaukee and the Grizz still are in a position where if they win one game they can make it into the play-in but they are decided underdogs now for the eighth seed which they really need to get in their present state I don't see how they're going to win two in a row against any of these other challengers at this point.
1: Right. And and so it, it puts a lot of pressure on that. And I thought that Grayson Allen again showed up well. I, he, he turned down a couple of threes, but I thought the floater game was better for him than I anticipated. And I still, especially playing next to John Morant, I don't see Grayson Allen as a starting caliber player on a good team, but an important part of a rotation as soon as next season. Yes
0: turn sort of the Celtics now, I mean, they really are rounding into form. Jalen Brown shot it poorly on threes, but he played a really nice defensive game and uh, rated highly in the plus minus. I thought he did a good job there. Gordon Hayward continues to impress. He crushed a big dunk in transition, four of nine from three. He really put this away for the Celtics when the Grizz kept all of their guys on the floor, at, including Moran at the start of the fourth to try and push back. And it was Hayward and Grant Williams, Cantor, Brad Wanamaker. You know, he was really the only one of their primary playmakers who was out there. And he really brought them home during that period with five quick points and and an assist's actually a couple of nice assists getting the ball moving so he had 19 points and Kemba Walker to me I mean he looks totally fine to me what do you think
1: he looked great in this one and he even had the primary assignment on Morant for a lot of their time which they could have gone with somebody else but I mean there aren't that many guys they can guard jaw in the first place but offensively I thought Kemba looked great nothing nothing soothes the soul like facing a drop back coverage from Valanchunas
0: yeah and that of course is going to be the key Tatum Walker maybe even Hayward against that Bucks defense dropping back can they get them out of that coverage that barricades the rim by hitting some three-pointers deeper in the rotation Grant Williams had been out of the rotation he actually came back and committed four fouls of course very quickly but he looked okay they did some more switching with him he even hit a one of two from three in the corners Robert Williams continues to look good he had three offensive rebounds 10 points three block shots in a short stretch I mean he just really he gets off his feet so quickly surprising guys so I I still wonder especially against Embiid how it's going to look and how short is the leash going to be for him in the playoffs in terms of mistakes but I didn't really see him make any mistakes in this game which was encouraging not that Memphis runs the most complex stuff in the world Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 20 20- 15 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and now helix offers 20 unique matches Every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes So it really seems like the Celtics are rounding into form quite well here. And, you know, I expect that they are going to take care of philly now with no ben simmons and they may be the favorite danny to make it to the eastern conference finals opposite the bucks um i got one more thing on this one anything else you want to say on the celtics
1: no i i was going to talk about robert williams but i think you covered it pretty well
0: last thing i'll say i should have got to this one i was talking about morant earlier i mean for a rookie point guard with basically no one else on his team to play this well and not only did he do it on the offensive end this is maybe the best defensive oh He had, I think, three blocks. In this one, he only got credited with two, but he had two blocks in help defense on Anas or at least he forced him to miss one of them. And then he had a sick chase down blocks in transition. After his own turnover, he sprinted back. A lot of guys would kind of hang their heads after those plays. And... Made a number of plays coming over as a help defender against the role man as well. Defensively, I, I thought he was just so active and everything that you want from your young superstar. And we've already just for a rookie point guard to be doing what he's doing. And yeah, he's had a few struggles in the bubble, but this is a reminder of just how incredible he can be uh when he's really locked in. And uh looking forward to at least seeing one more game of him, which we will in fact be broadcasting that Memphis Milwaukee game on NBA League Pass. You can Check it out if you're a League Pass subscriber to click on the Influencer stream.
1: Let's move to what was the marquee game in many ways of Monday, especially when you consider the Lakers didn't have anything to play for, even though they did beat the Nuggets by three on that Kyle Kuzma game winner. But the marquee game, because of something we talked about on on Sunday's show, was Miami-Indiana, because it looks like these teams are going to just spend a lot of time playing each other, and so this was a calibrator. And if this was a calibrator, things look real good for the Miami Heat.
0: Well, and their defense really continues to impress. I mean, 114.92 in the end, 88 offensive rating for Indiana. They did struggle to 10 out of 35 three point shooting, but their offense just looked very, very stagnant. A lot of what the Heat were doing was switching. Particularly with Bam Adebayo involved, getting out on the floor, guarding it in pick and roll situation, handoff situations. And the Pacers, to me, we had talked about okay, maybe what they'll do as we previewed that game a little bit is they're really going to attack Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero or Goran Dragic, Dragic getting the start along with Robinson in the backcourt. I mean, that seems like a pretty flammable backcourt defensively and they really just didn't do a good enough job of attacking them and the Pacers talked about this in the media after the game that they really just didn't have a plan of what they were going to do against switches I thought they did a poor job of getting TJ Warren involved we can talk about that a little bit more in a second but this Pacers team just didn't have much alacrity and flow to their offense they weren't making quick decisions I thought Victor Oladipo in particular really struggled with that of just holding on to the ball too long kind of waiting uh The Pacers also didn't really, you know, when teams are switching, you got to kind of, we talked about this going way back to that 17-18 series with Golden State and Houston, but it bears repeating that switching, if you, no matter who's switching onto you, If you just, all you're getting every single time is going one-on-one, you're probably not going to do good enough against a set defense. So you got what you got to do is, even if you only cause five or seven of these a game, you got to have quick slips. You got to have guys getting inside position and rolling to the basket off of the switch. You got to have quick duck-ins for post-ups that they aren't expecting against a smaller player when they're switched up. You just got to have, you know, do stuff that, hey, you know what, this only has a 15% chance of working, but maybe we'll induce a miscommunication somehow. And the Pacers don't do that. They just, they get the switch. Okay, now I'm going to back out. Sure. Is everyone in position? You got all your help defenders ready? Okay, now I'm going to go attack you. And, you know, even if it's just, right at the moment of the switch you attack and just get downhill against the guy instead of just backing it out and waiting again uh, and the Pacers just don't have that in their DNA. They're a very station to station type of offense. They don't have great passers and, and ball movers on this team and you really saw the, the heat just throttled them last night.
1: There were times that this reminded me of the bad moments for the Jazz against the Rockets last couple of years where a switching team, part of the merit of that is that it turns, it turns an opponent into an ISO team and well, while the Pacers have this diverse attack currently with, you know, with Warren playing well and, and Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon, they don't really have that guy with Oladipo in this current form. You know, it's four and nine from the field, didn't really have much juice to me. And Miami's defenders are good enough overall that they just weren't really creating much in the half court. And I agree with you. I think that there is a lot more work that the Pacers can do to, you know, to beat those switching systems. But what makes this so daunting for me for Indiana is that. Miami doesn't have to switch to be successful. That's just what they were doing in this game. And it's not like Houston where it is their, their raison d'etre. It's the reason to be like, it's not that situation. It's just that Miami did it. It worked and they can go. And, and yeah, it wasn't necessarily the greatest offensive performance for the heat. They had a, like a 109 offensive rating. They did, but they missed some shots that I thought could have gone in. And also this game was, it was in a kind of a different phase towards the later portion. So I don't read too much of that. So I, I mean, to me, the early returns on this were extremely, Exceedingly good for Miami because even if Indiana plays way better, and I agree with you that some of the DNA problems aren't going to change. Just when you think about what the Pacers have been, but like this, like there, there aren't that many times where a single matchup makes me think about a playoff series really differently. This one did so.
0: The Warren versus Butler matchup. The narrative was, oh man, Jimmy Butler shut him down. And watching the game, I was looking very closely for that. I watched it today. It and didn't really see that happen to be honest i mentioned there's a a fair amount of switching involved and i thought indiana just didn't do a good enough job of getting warren involved like they're willing to switch Dragic and duncan robinson and tyler hero onto the guy who's leading the bubble and scoring and they just weren't looking for him it was other guys trying to do stuff they didn't try to like get him in the post in those matchups at all they didn't try and clear out uh you know it was only one isolation it was all that pete or uh that TJ Warren had in this game. And you would hope that there could be more there. And they really, he read four pick and roll possessions and one ISO possession. That's it. He was five out of 14, had a turnover, uh, only 12 points. He, and I also thought he got some open shots that he just missed, yeah, uh, particularly from three. So they uh, also had like a nice play at the free throw line where he looted Butler. And yeah, Butler did some nice jobs on him at, at times, but uh, I really thought it was re- more uh, that A, they didn't look for him, and you know he didn't have in the previous games. He always he scores like seventeen points in the first quarter, every quarter, and so then it's like you're looking for him, and it's just it's so easy with all these other guys that they have to go away from him. And I think the coach has to say no. Actually, uh, T.J. Warren is the guy that we're going to go to here. And yeah, I mean you just look up and down the roster. Warren did lead them in shot time, so he only had 14. Brogdon had 12. Holiday had 8. Oladipo had 9. Doug McDermott had 11. And some of it was due to garbage time at the end. But one thing I might consider if I were Indiana is putting either justin holiday or doug mcdermott into the starting lineup for aaron holiday and then also maybe replacing tj mcconnell with holiday uh, on the backup unit mcconnell actually only played 13 minutes in this one so his role was a little reduced but uh and to just have another spot-up shooter a guy who knows his role holiday or or between brogdon oladipo and tj warren you got plenty of guys already to create i don't understand what the function of holiday is supposed to be brogdon is well capable of playing some point guard oladipo can handle the ball just fine. So why also do you need just to just having with the more size there? out there? Yeah, right.
1: Defensively could be a big thing, and I, I also yeah I agree. I fully agree with you, and I've wondered about that throughout the bubble. I just didn't understand what Aaron Holiday is bringing to the equation. He was an important part of their season because he kind of spelled both Brogdon and Oladipo as both of them missed time this year. But that doesn't make Holiday a deserving starter, even though you, you slotted somebody down and it's kind. Of, it, I, I yeah I would go probably with Justin Holiday there. McDermott did look maybe a little bit better at times in this one, but and and holiday you know he's one for seven from three but he's a better three-point shooter than that and team teams will guard him out there i also want to mention i I thought that it was a nice game from Derek jones jr and tyler hero hero has continued to impress me in the bubble but Derek jones has been a smaller part of it partially due to you know his delayed kind of entry into all this nine of eleven from the field and another guy who knows exactly what he's supposed to do out there and with this miami team he just does it
0: yeah and if he takes 11 shots you can bet he's gonna make a, a bunch of them particularly when they're all from two-point range he's an explosive finisher um
1: have you seen Derek jones yeah. did you see his shot plot from this game
0: no i i did not watch it's, that portion
1: it's of basically it. just a circle around the basket <laughs> he took 11 shots all of them were in the restricted area
0: oh, made... oh you said his shot, shot. i thought it did you see his shot block oh no his shot game? plot I, sorry i use i, I use plot because it's
1: just funny because it's just all these little circles in the same place it's kind of like there were there were some <laughs> there were some young lebron james games that were kind of like that um but yeah i thought that he played well i thought the tower hero did a good job and my miami having those functional depth pieces iguodala i thought he was fine you know more defensively than offensively in this game it reminds you that right now the depth game is really in miami's favor now if jeremy lamb and sabonis and all those were there then that would be a different conversation but those guys will not be available in a potential first round series between these teams anyway and with indiana sorry with philadelphia's loss on tuesday that looks even more likely for indiana and miami to be facing off than it did when they played on monday
0: a couple other notes on this one uh, jimmy butler 19 points 5 of 13 from the field 9 of 11 His his first half was basically all free throws he definitely when he drives is if he's going to the rim, he's doing it to try and get others there's one play against miles turner where you're like He's not going to try and shoot it on Miles or he got ice on him. He's like, you know, he's going to try and draw the ball. And he did. Uh, but it was interesting. The first probably four minutes of the third quarter, which is when the heat pulled away to the tune of uh, 37 to 23. Butler really wasn't involved at all. It was all the handoff game without a bio. They got a nice backdoor to Crowder on Oladipo. Oladipo lost Duncan Robinson a couple of times. And then at about the seven minute mark of the third, they ran about five plays for Jimmy Butler in a row. And a couple of them were high pick and roll, like we saw last year, a lot of, and he was able to kind of control the game, create his... An excellent passer at this point. That's something he's so improved in his game. Also just, you know, quick duck-ins. He got one on Malcolm Brogdon for an easy layup right away. So just little things where they're putting it in his hands in some fashion every time. And that was what allowed them to continue to pull away. And then the Pacers... DeMontis Sabonis you can make the argument maybe that their starting group is better without him although they've started to falter a bit lately here but where they really really miss him is on that second unit with he and he and McDermott you know it's Batadze who played five minutes he was negative five in that Jakar Sampson just doesn't have the size in a lot of these matchups and so you're they're gonna get killed with Turner off the floor I'm sorry but it's It's uh, due to want of a backup, not necessarily missing Sabonis in the starting group where the fit between he and Turner can be clunky. On occasion so we did earlier what the playoff picture looks like as of now anything else we got to talk about before we go
1: yeah i recorded a real gym radio podcast with ben golver which i really enjoyed partially because we talked in the early part about life in the bubble it was the first extended conversation i've had with somebody inside the bubble we talked about the logistics of that kind of how how it worked the the pickleball story that he wrote about scott foster and then we got into the his takeaways from from the game so far and it was it was funny for me to fun for me to think about what that that life would be like, and so I, I think you all really enjoyed it. That should be out now. All
0: right, that'll do it for us today. Don't forget to check us out tomorrow, 8 Eastern, Miami OKC on NBA League Pass. Thursday, we're going to do Milwaukee and Memphis. We got another game coming on Friday as well. So we'll keep you updated on all that. Please watch us. Please ask questions with the hashtag NBAcast uh, or those positive tweets uh, from the league. We really, uh, or to the league, rather, we really appreciate them. I'm still forwarding those on. And uh, it's been working. We're getting more games, which has been awesome. Talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me.